0: We're going to be uh, looking at uh, Psalm cha- Psalm one, the first Psalm. In fact, I was told I don't know if it was is true, but the pastor that, or the, actually not a pastor, but the man that preached last week, uh, Adam. I thought uh, somebody said he preached on Psalm two, but I don't know that for sure. But uh, he was thinking of preaching on Psalm two. But we're going to be looking at Psalm one, and the and the, and the neat thing about Psalm one and two, is that. You can think about uh, the, Psal- the Psalter was their worship book, and as they would enter the sanctuary, Psalm one and two summarize for us everything that the Psalms teach in a way. So you of get so you, you kind of get a kind of a general statement in Psalm one and two about the rest of the Psalter, and so that 's what makes Psalms uh, so wonderful in our worship is that it describes every aspect of your life. Everything that you're going through should be considered a part of worship because worship is not just Sunday. It's actually your worship is every aspect of your life. Suffering can be worship. Remember Job, when Job lost all of his children, lost everything that he owned. It says, remember what he said? His wife said, curse God and die, and he says, woman, he says, no way. He says, you know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he it says he bowed in worship. So even suffering and struggle that we go through in life can be worship. So uh, Psalm 1, we're going to read this whole psalm. We're going to talk about it a little bit and, uh, and draw some conclusions from it. But it's interesting that this psalm is about happiness, that God is more concerned about your happiness than you are if I would ask you, do you want to be happy, we would all raise our hand, probably both of them, and say, yes, of course, I want to be happy. Well, that's what this psalm is all about. Uh, the word blessed there is, oh, how truly, extremely happy is the person. And that's so, uh, so when you, you're, you see the word blessed, it's, it's a plural statement, but it's basically saying the ultimate happiness that you can have but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And uh, thus ends the reading of God's word. And let's ask him to illuminate uh, us as we we discuss and as we uh, meditate on this passage. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, we come not as uh, bystanders. We do not come as people who uh, are curious necessarily. Father, we come as needy people. We come as those whom the Spirit of God has worked in us, that we would desire your word, we would desire to know your will. Uh, We desire that your kingdom would come in great power and authority in our lives and in this world. And Father, we, we come as those who are greatly needy of your grace this morning. Father, in need of your, uh, your sustaining grace, in need of your healing grace. And Father, as we've heard uh, through the announcements, Lord, many that are hurting, many that are suffering, uh, Father, many who are struggling with their health, Lord, you are the great physician, and so we do lift up uh, those needs to you right now knowing that, uh, Lord, you are uh, able to touch people where they're at, uh, even when the physicians that we have in this world maybe uh, don't have all the answers. We certainly know that you do, Lord, and that you uh, have a purpose and a plan even in our suffering to conform us even to the image of Christ, even in our suffering, even in our pain, even in our struggle. We ask now this morning that you administer your grace to each need here this morning, We come sometimes with heavy hearts. But, Father, may you lift the burden. May we cast all our burdens on the Lord because you care for us. So may we, Father, be willingly to let go of those burdens and to cast those at your feet. We pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, this is a psalm that, uh, Psalm 1 and 2 are, like I said, they're companion psalms. And what you have in the Psalter is that you have... Oftentimes, like this, you'll have, you'll have law and grace together. So Psalm 1 is about God's law, meditating on the law of God, because the law of God reveals our sinfulness. Psalm 2 is about the Redeemer, that we need to be redeemed, that we are needy, and that there's a rescuer, and that rescuer is Jesus, Psalm 2. And if you went through the rest of the Psalter, you'd get Psalm 18 is about uh, the Deliverer coming, Psalm 19 is about the law of God. Uh, Psalm 118 is all about, uh, you know, is about uh, the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting. And then Psalm 119 is about the law of the Lord. And in fact, it's 150 verses. I mean, if you, if you get into Psalm 119 in your devotions uh, and you struggle, just break it up because it is an acrostic, meaning, you know, it's, it's, it's all, all those verses are kind of capsulized in one Hebrew letter. And, uh, and read through that but but so the Psalter is, is showing you contrast between basically what it means to believe in, in the kingdom of God and what when it says righteous it's not saying sinless it's saying a person who's been redeemed who's been who's been redeemed and rescued uh, from the life of sin and when it's using the word wicked, it's those people who reject the Scriptures, reject the Word of God, reject the fact that they need salvation. They, they are living a life. In other words, their worldly wisdom says, I can do it on my own, right? And we've heard that. Uh, I'm number one, and I'm looking out for number one. And so you, when you say wicked, it's not so much the person is the bad, they never do anything good, but it's just that they've rejected the God of Scripture, and when you see righteous, you're seeing someone who, who realizes that they're sinners, they're lost, and they have a need of rescued, and they need a and they have a need of forgiveness and redemption. And so so the Psalter is 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 set up that way. And so as you read the Psalms, you 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 get this word blessed there in verse one. Blessed is the person. Now, the word man there doesn't mean women that you don't you can shut your you can, you can kind of shut, shut off what's being said because it's, it's a general term basically meaning blessed is the person, the man or woman. Uh, and so it's basically saying God wants you to know that as you enter worship, his concern is that you truly would enjoy and understand the depth of joy that there is in a relationship with God. And so, this word blessed is is the fact that God is saying, look, this is the one thing that will make you happy in your life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, it was talking about the Messiah pointing forward to Jesus, but Jesus is the Messiah. So, if I were to ask you what's the one thing that will make you happy, what would you say? The one thing, if you had it, you'd say, boy, I mean... That would just fill my life with joy. Is it possessions? Is it influence? Uh, Is it the approval of a certain group of people? Is it control? Um, Is it just having security? And and we would probably respond in different ways. You know, all of us have thought at one time, boy, if I just had that much money, I'd be happy. (laughs) Or if I just lived in that house, I would be extremely happy. Uh, but the Bible doesn't look at those things as things that will bring you happiness. True happiness is something that he's going to define here. In fact, he, dis- he defines it in terms of a picture. That's, what I, that's what's wonderful about God's Word. And you know when Jesus would teach, he would teach with what? Pictures. He would use the farmer sowing the seed. He would use, uh, in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, how does it start out? Remember how it starts out? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, what's he used? The word there, blessed, Jesus is taking, taking Psalm 1, and he's saying how truly happy is the poor person who's poor in spirit. And you're going like, I'm sorry, but how can that be happy? Well, poor in spirit means a person who's been humbled by their sin, who's mourning over it and that has found forgiveness and acceptance in God. And so, so this idea of blessed is, is really a, a term that, that Jesus uses as a way of reminding us that God is concerned about your happiness. And so whatever you're going through, and as you read the Psalter, You'll, you'll see this, if you read the first 40 or 50 Psalms, they're not all about jumping and dancing and clapping your hands. In fact, Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 are about, you know, suffering and struggle. But in that suffering and struggle, it's talking about you have someone there who will walk with you through the struggle. I mean, that's, that's essential to the Psalter it's it's saying yes life can be hard can be difficult there can be pain there can be struggle there can be uh, enemies in fact there will be conflict in fact if you follow Christ you're going to be criticized you're going to be laughed at you're going to be t- thought now that this is just i mean you know i thought i thought we we're beyond that in our 21st century and yet that's exactly how the world thinks But that's not how God thinks, and God's giving you a picture not only of what he's delivered you from, but what he's delivering you to, and the future that you have. And so, he he basically breaks this portrait down, and it's kind of like looking at a mural, and he looks at it in three different parts. And the first part of the mural is this, is that there's two paths. There's the path of the world's wisdom, and there's the path of God's wisdom in verses 1 and 2. Then the second part of that that psalter is this. It it describes the character of the righteous being formed and then the character of the wicked, verses 3 and 4. And then verses 5 and 6 are basically the two verdicts that are rendered. God's verdict is the one that matters, right? And you notice how it ends in verse 6, the wicked will perish those who reject the gospel, those who reject the scriptures, those who reject the only way of salvation in Christ, he's basically saying they will perish. But then he says, and they will not stand in the judgment and they won't, the sinners will not stand, they will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. So you, so you have these contrasts in this portrait that God's, God's painting for us here in Psalm 1. And basically he's saying there, there's two paths, there's two roads And it's almost as if he begins with a negative. It's kind of like, okay, here are the wicked. They're in the fast lane of life. Everything's looking good. Everything's looking sharp. Everything's looking grandiose. And he says, but the person who's truly happy is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He's basically saying, look, the person who is really going to be blessed of God has been saved out of that way of thinking. By the way, this is where we all start, isn't it? We, we're born into sin. We're born as sinners. I mean, you know, the Bible says that even David says, In sin did my mother conceive me. He wasn't talking about it, that she was not wed. It's just basically saying, Look, I inherited a sin nature when I was born. And so we all start in verse one. But all of a sudden, something happens, and, and in verse 2, we begin to delight in God's Word. So that word, law of God, doesn't just mean the Ten Commandments. It means all of Scripture, that there's this, there's this deep satisfaction in knowing what life is about from the one who created our life. He's the Creator, and so the psalmist is, is kind of telling us that, you know, we can, if, you look at, if you look at people, successful people, they will basically say, look, I'm in control. And if you want to want to really be happy, you want to be like me. <laughs> or you want to have what I have. It's interesting, too, you know, as you, as you look, if you go on the Internet, what, what do people do? That, if you really want to be happy, you'll have a vacation just like I had. And so I'll put all my pictures out there. And you go like, boy, that was a really nice thing. Or if you really want to be happy, you'll live in a home like, you know, it's like somebody sells a home and it's $45 million or 60000000 million. You're going like, are you serious? I mean, I couldn't live in all the rooms of, the, of a mansion that big. I mean, it, it just, it, it's just, well, I'll, I'll top that with even a bigger house or a bigger this or a bigger that. And, and human wisdom is all about what you have, what you own, and what people think about what you have and what you own and who you are, right? It's all about reputation. It's all about, you know, and and then there's this competition between who's got the biggest, who's got the best. But see, notice the person truly happy is the person who's found this extreme delight. That that word delight there is, is, it has this idea of extremely content and delighting in the word of God. There's a depth to God's word. In other words, it's, it's, it's like all of a sudden, peer pressure has no hold on you anymore. You know, there was an elderly lum- woman. She was 104, so I can say elderly, right? And they asked her, what's the best thing about being 104? She says, no peer pressure. <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't really care what people think, you know, but don't we live a lot of times the stresses we go through and the struggles oftentimes we go through is, is based on the pure pressures around us and what people think and what will they say and, and what will they care and, and, and all of those things. And yet the, man, the person who is truly happy has found this, You so you see this deep satisfaction, this deep contentment in the Word of God because the Word of God gives us a picture of who God is. As you read the scriptures, what do you find about the depths of God's word? It tells us about who God is. He's eternal, he's unchangeable, he's knowable, he's perfect in holiness, but he's also loving. He's also gracious. He's also merciful. And all of a sudden you begin to, as you begin to 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 think and, and you read about the Psalm who says, From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. That was that was written by Moses in Psalm 90. Or you or you 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 see how God is is always present in your life, regardless of what you're going through. And all of those things bring comfort, don't they? When you know that you're the you're going through something that no one can understand, what's the one thing that comforts you as a believer? Well, the Lord, he's with me. And he'll never forsake me. You see, you see that, see, I mean, isn't that much more Joyful than someone like a, like a, um, I was reading the, uh, an interview by Madonna. Superstar, obviously. Now, she's a little older. that But she said, her drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. I push myself and discover I'm just, I am a special human being, but then I feel mediocre again. Even though I've become somebody, I think I have won it. And from what people have said and they write about me, I'm a superstar. But next day I have to go somewhere else to find find meaning and purpose because my ego is insatiable. It's a black hole and it doesn't matter how much I throw into that black hole, that cupboard is always bare the next morning. Now, here's somebody that's got everything. Everything you can think of, at least, you know, fame, fortune, but she says that she says um, she said I had this this longing to be somebody, but every morning the cupboard's bare. But waiter, what do you mean? Well, she's not saying her bank accounts bare. She's not saying that her, her house that she lives in is probably millions. I mean, who knows? But she's basically trying to find some happiness and purpose in life, and she can't find it. And she's miserable. She says it's a black hole. And it's always empty, and, and she keeps, you know, well, people think you're really something. Throw that in there tomorrow morning, it's empty again. I need to, I need to do something else to become somebody. And so you see there's a big difference, isn't there? Um, but notice, notice something else about this man is that it's, it compares him, and, and notice in verse 3, he, he or she is like a tree. Now, when you think about a tree, you think of something permanent, don't you? you think of something that's stable. When you think of a tree, you think of stable. Now, he's going he's to compare the wicked, but the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff. Verse 4, or verse 5 there. Actually, verse 4. So you got, you got this tree planted by the streams of water. How did it get there? The Lord planted it. By his grace, by his outstanding grace, his sustaining grace, his redeeming grace, God plants the tree. where does He plant it? Streams of water. You remember this uh, winter storm last year, uh, last year, or this past year? Actually, was it? I can't remember, was it January or February? But you remember all the trees that were down? Yeah. Now, what was wrong? Why, I mean, it wasn't the weight of the ice that brought the tree down. What was the lack of What? A root system, because there were a lot of those trees that just—they weren't just snapped. Now some of them were snapped. I believe there was a lot of weight on that, but a lot of them were just uprooted. There wasn't a good root system. But notice this tree is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. In other words, it's it's stable. It's it's solid. It's uh, uh, it's it's firmly rooted in the Word of God. And Psalm two is what the living Word of God, right? That's the Messiah. It's interesting, these two Psalms, you know, you got the Word and you got the Living Word. you got the Law of God and you've got the Lawgiver and the Lawkeeper, Jesus. They're, they're side by side in Psalm 1 and 2. It's, it's beautiful. Um, this was uh, put in a newspaper um, that uh, I read. He said, I noticed that ministers spend a lot of deal of time preparing sermons. And this man, he's writing to the editor, and he says, I've attended 30, In 30 years, I've attended 3,000 services, but to my consternation, I can't remember one of the sermons. And someone wrote back to the editor, and, and he said, Well, I've been married, dear sir, I've been married 30 years, and during that time I have eaten 32,850 meals, mostly, which my wife has, has uh, fixed, and I realize I can't remember even one of those meals. But I received nourishment from every one of them. And without those, I would probably have starved to death. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, you know, you think, well, the word of God is not something that you want to spend time with and think about and meditate on and, and be nourished by. He's saying, you know, this is what brings nourishment and blessing. And that, that's why we gather in the morning. You know, he we say, well, why, why is the preaching of the word such an important part? Because it's through the word and through the study and the reading of the word that what? We get rooted like a tree. We're getting the water. What that water, that water that comes to us is through the Holy Spirit's enlightenment and illumination. Through the word and God then what? He takes that word and transforms you. Renews you, strengthens you. You know you can be down, and boy, a verse from Scripture leaps out at you and just grabs you, and you and you get excited, and you go like, "Lord, I've just needed that today. I needed that word of encouragement. I needed that word of uh, just 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 a reminder that I serve a God that doesn't change. I serve a God who's in control. I serve a God who who isn't absent from His creation." That he's very intimate with those that he loves and he cares for. And so you see, this person, this this person who's planted by God by streams of water, yes, they're stable. Guess what? They're satisfied. But they're also what? Fruitful. Notice the fruit that's being born there. And it says, in all, it says, and that it yields its fruit in its season. Now, most of us are going through seasons, right? I'm going through the season that um, I always talked about and, you know, encouraged people that when they were in that season of life that, uh, you know, it's not that bad, but then when, when things start breaking down, you know, and I'm talking about shoulders and arms and <laughs> knees and, you know, uh, that's a season of life, Right. But even in that season of life, God has a purpose that we can bear fruit even in that moment. And it's not, and you know, we say, well, what kind of fruit are we talking about? We're talking about patience and kindness, understanding. You know, think of the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and gentleness, self-control. You know, uh, showing mercy to those that need mercy. Caring for people who are hurting—that is, that's that's the kind of fruit that God is producing in us. Because as He is working through our individual circumstances, He's forming something in you and me. It's Christlikeness. Because what is Christ like? He's humble. He's loving. He's merciful. He's patient. All of those things that you see—the fruit of the Spirit—that's Christ. And so God is forming that in you, and he's doing that through the word of God being implanted in you. And so you say, well, memorization and meditation, wow, those are great. The more you study the scripture, Sunday school, Wednesday night, all of those things, your personal Bible study, all of those things are ways in which God is using that to transform you. You know, Romans 12:1 and 2, it says... He says, by the mercies of God, he says, he says, I urge you by the mercies of God, he says, that you will not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the scriptures. Through the scriptures. And so, so, so this is a fruitful man or fruitful person who's bearing fruit even, even in old age. Because notice this. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. And, and so this is a picture of even in, in our older age and even in, the, in this latter years of life, there's still green leaves there. You know, you think, well, I've got a lot of gray hair. I have none, at least right now. But the point is, that's, that's really not, God doesn't care about that. Because even in where we're at in life, no matter what age, you know, God will use that to bear fruit. Um, You know, Psalm 94, I think it is, it says they will even bear fruit in old age. The leaf will still be green. In old age. And you're going like, Lord, you can still use me now? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. It's a beautiful picture of how God never lets go. He's still forming us even up to the time he readies us for taking us home. He's forming Christ's character in us. That's what Psalm 1 is all about. But notice the contrast here. You look at the person, the righteous person, the person who's truly happy, being, their character being formed. But notice the person who basically says, I don't need any of that religious stuff. I don't need any of the scriptures. I don't need prayer. I don't need anything in my life. Look, I can do it on my own. I'm a self-made person. And you're going like, you really aren't. You think you are. But notice what it says in verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, how, how stable is chaff? You got wheat, and then you got chaff. The chaff comes off of the wheat. You save the wheat to eat. The chaff, they say, Jesus says, you save the chaff to be burnt. The chaff is, the, the chaff, the chaff, the, chafe, <laughs> the chaff, are, are the, basically it's just saying that that's, that's the stuff that you throw away. It's, it's worthless. There's no stability in that. In fact, in the, uh, one of the the Septuagint, which is, the old, which is, you know, the Old Testament was written in two different, it was written in the Hebrew, but then the Septuagint, they translated it. And in that verse, it says, this is how it reads. It says, not so, not so the wicked, but they will be like the chaff. It's a double negative. It's just being saying, It's just going to, and it says, and the wind just what? What's the wind do? It just blows it away. That's what they did back then. They would take the wheat and as they would um, grind the wheat and stuff, they would throw the wheat up and then the wind would take the chaff and blow it away. And he's saying, that's, he says, that's the stability of a person who rejects the truth of the gospel. And then notice, he says, verses five and six. So what's the ultimate verdict? on the two different ways of life. What does God say in verse 5? Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so, basically, it's a picture of, okay, what's the ultimate verdict that God, basically, God says? And God says, well... The wicked might be standing in the council of the ungodly, and they might sit in the seat of the scorners, and the scorner is just somebody that makes fun of Christianity. You know, they just poke it, they just poke fun, you know. What's the use of all that stuff? But it says the wicked will not stand in the judgment. In other words, basically it's saying they have no justification. All they have is condemnation. Justification just means that God's declared you righteous in Christ through faith. By the way, that verdict has already been made before you get there. Do you know that? That's what it means to be justified. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And you say, how can that be? Well, because Jesus, when he died on the cross, said it's finished. And that means that God had accepted the sacrifice of Christ as my substitute on the cross. And he verified that. He stamped his approval on it by raising Jesus from the dead. So we have God's verdict now. We don't have to work to get God's verdict. God's verdict has already been announced at the cross, that Jesus Christ did die for my sins, and that through faith in Jesus Christ and just coming to him as a sinner saying, Lord, I need need you, and crying out to God and just, Lord, I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. It's basically accepting what Christ has done Already. That's the verdict has already been announced. Even before we, now it doesn't even say, all it basically says is what? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The verdict's already been rendered. He doesn't have to do anymore because what? All Christ does is he holds up his hands. You see these marks? You see the nail, you you see the spear wound in my side. You see the, the wounds in my feet. Justified. Justified. No condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And so, so, you, so here, the wicked has no justification. Notice this, and they have no communion. In other words, they can, they're not going to be standing in the assembly of the righteous. And you're saying, but, but I'm only righteous because of Christ. That's right. And that should make us all thankful, right? Man, there's a lot of reason to give thanks because Jesus did it all. He paid it all, so, and I give Him what? all the praise. For all that he's already accomplished. In other words, there's no hope, no com- there's no communion, there's no justification for the wicked. And but for the blessed man, notice or the blessed person, it says this. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. You know what term idea of knowing just means this that God knows us, He knows us by name. The, sheep, the shepherd knows the sheep by name. It has the idea that it's not just that God knows us, knows about us. He knows us personally. He knows your struggle. He knows the things that really, really irritate you. He knows the things that need to change in our life. But, you know, he doesn't just whop us over the head, does he? But those circumstances and all the things that he's doing in our life, he's using those things, even knowing where we're at, God still uses those things to shape Christ-likeness in us. God's goal was Christ-likeness, not sinlessness, by the way. You know, some people say, well, you know, I mean, think about it. I mean, none of us never, we can't say, I never sin in word, deed, or thought, can we? See, blameless and righteous in the scripture is not sinless, I'm becoming more like Christ, and I'm sinning less, but I'm still not sinless. <laughs> I'm, I'm becoming more Christ-like, and ultimately, when I stand in glory, guess what? I am going to be sinless. But until that time, I'm going to still struggle I'm going to still. I'm, I'm still going to. I'm still going to have these days when some days I'm going to be depressed and discouraged. But read the Psalms, and as you read the Psalter, you realize, you look, you know, just because I'm going through suffering and discouragement doesn't mean I'm not truly happy. Um, I kind of uh, when I was thinking. I mean, think about it. How many of us haven't lost our keys? And I thought that was only for old age. Right, But in reality, isn't it, isn't it great to know that God knows exactly what we're going through and he also knows exactly where we're at and what, how, where we need to grow in, in those particular areas. And I'm still forgetting my keys, by the way. So, uh, ask my wife. I'm always doing that. Uh, but blessed is the person who, what? They know... They know the one who knows them. See, that's, that's the key in this. This whole chapter one and chapter two is this: Do you know the good shepherd? Do you know the one who knows the sheep? He's the good shepherd. And how do I? How do I? Uh, how do I? Uh, how do I respond to that? Uh, and how do I? How do I apply that in my own? In all my own walk. So there's these two paths. There's two. Lives being formed, and there's two verdicts. And there's one ver- that, but the one verdict that's, that's for our encouragement this morning is this, is that God knows the way of the righteous. And that means that when we stand before God, He knows our name. And He says, the sheep are on my what, right? And the goats are on the left. And there's going to be wheat and tares that grow up together, even in the church. And He says, you don't, we're, I can't separate wheat and tares. I think Donnie was mentioning something. We don't know who's saved and who isn't, but guess who separates the wheat and tares? At the end it says that, it says that he sends the angels and they separate the, the, the wheat and tares. Um, so how do I know and, and this is, how, what are the evidences in our life that we're on this path? And I would say this, they're, they're right here in the text, Delighting in God's word. That's one of the ways. The fact that you want to know the word of God. The fact that you're here this morning. I mean, I mean how many other people are here? That want, I mean, Now, there's people that want to be here that can't be. But there's a lot of people that can care less about hearing the word of God. Uh, another evidence is fruitfulness. In other words, Lord, I'm getting, becoming more patient, but I'm still not there yet. I, I'm becoming more loving, more understanding, uh, more patient. Uh, Less worrying about things, learning to cast my cares on the Lord, but I'm still not all the way there. Another evidence is like when storms and struggles come into my life, Lord, I realize that, that those come from your hand for a reason. You're not, in other words, God's not punishing you if you're going through a trial in your life you know i I mean a lot of Christians they think I don't know what I don't know what God's doing but I, but I, I read this I read the psalms and and and, and God blesses the righteous and, and 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 he curses the wicked but i must I, I must not be righteous because I'm going through trials and you're going no, but that you know look I'll take you a lot of psalms where they talk where the psalmist is going through trials he's struggling in fact, there's one psalm that ends with this and it says, darkness is my best friend. you're talking about depression? that's how the psalm ends, and you're going like I think I've been there at times where I've really struggled and I just thought, you know, what's going on? No, that's an evidence. When you're you're still trusting God in the midst of that darkness and saying, Lord, I don't understand, all I can do is trust you. Because what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. Faith embraces God in the darkness. Faith can, in other words, faith is, is not about something that, in other words, it's easy to trust things that I can see. It's hard to trust in the Lord that I can't see. You know, I know he's real. And, uh, and so those are just some of the evidences that, a fact, a fact that uh, humility, by the way, that's, a, that's, a, that's the life of God. You say, well, th- that's a humble person. Well, they didn't become that way. God. Was working in them. Uh, what about uh, meekness or gentleness or life of caring? When you see somebody caring, uh, you know we. Uh, you just recently lost a, a sister-in-law, and uh, you know when people uh, write an obituary, you know what they don't write about? They don't write about well, this person had this much money and they did this, and you know they. Uh, they, they looked this certain way or anything, Why do they, they, you, you usually in an obituary, or even like I am say an obituary, but a um, eulogy, you usually remember things that that person, the lives that they touched, the people. And what happens is that, that they become, in other words, they're, they're people who, who can be touched with other people's need, other people's pain. Um, and that's what overcoming is all about. In other words, there's, there's no silver bullet in Christianity. Some people are always looking for that. Well, if I just had that experience, if I just had that, I would be an overcomer. I would be the super Christian. Guess what? That's not in the Bible. It's struggle. But it's in that struggle knowing that I have a friend that's closer than a brother. That's what it means to, to know him. It's what it means to be righteous to be redeemed, to be people who are people of the book. And how do we get there? How do we, how do we enter that? Well, by just accepting and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I get on that road? Jesus said, I am the door. By me, me if any man enter in, he shall be saved. You just, the door is there, and the invitation is always there. Everyone who is thirsty, let them come and drink of the water of life. And they will never thirst again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the psalmist as a reminder here that, Lord, you are concerned about our happiness and that to be truly happy, Lord, is not something that we can drum up inside of ourselves. But, Father, it is in a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, I would pray that if there be anyone here that does not know you or maybe struggling with this whole idea of life, Father, giving them a lemon, maybe. Lord, may they realize that even in that struggle that you are bringing them to -to face-to-face with the reality of your love and your grace and your mercy in Jesus Christ, in whom we pray.